Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. His father was a career police officer who was shot and killed in line of duty 25 years ago. He was 16 years old when his father was murdered. He's here to talk about what life is like today, the struggles he went through to get to where he's at today, and how he tries to help the families of other fallen officers. Is coming up on the Law Enforcement Today show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at helpforourheroes.com. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those that suffer from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Their program features first responders and veterans helping first responders and veterans. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Calling us from California on the phone, we have Mike Miguel Soto. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Sure, no problem. Mike is going to be talking about something that you're probably one of, or if not the first, adult child survivor. Uh, Mike's father was an Oakland, California police officer's kid on line of duty. We're going to talk about that, what he went through, what the experience was like, and, and his story. Valuable point of view that rarely gets a platform to tell their story. Uh, in the media, so I'm really glad you're doing it. And I always find this conversation very, very difficult, so I suspect you'll make it easier for me than it would be, because you've been telling this story for quite a while, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's something that I have shared in different levels, but I think as I've gotten older and gone through life with it, I've learned how to share it kind of in a different way, and my point of view of how I share it is different as well. I think that comes with time and maturity and experience, and uh, we'll get into how you've been doing that and telling your story and uh, the organization you do a lot of work with in just a moment. But in your adult life, what are you doing now? Currently, I'm a case coordinator at a California law firm that we work with over 350 different associations at primary law enforcement. So we represent police officers and deputy sheriffs for their legal defense. And what's the name of the law firm? Uh, the name of the law firm is RLS Lawyers. And they have a website? Speak up more information? Yeah, you can. If you're interested, you can go to rlslawyers.com. 
R-O-S-Lawyers.com. R's R's and Robert, L's and Lincoln, S's and Sam. So R-L-S-Lawyers. Gotcha. So let's talk about this. Your dad, Miguel Soto, was a a 22-year veteran of the Oakland, California Police Department. I did some reading and went odmp.org. Uh, they they have a they're really good about listing all the officers but kid on line of duty. Uh, they go way way back. And your dad's case was quite a while ago. How old were you when he was killed? I was 16 years old. That was about how many years ago? 25 years ago. So uh, quite a long period of time. And I, I'm glad that we get to talk about him and remember him. One of the things that I hear so often from survivors, and that's a term that's used in the law enforcement world for the spouses, siblings, children, and co-workers of those who are killed in line of duty. So here's a unique story that doesn't get told very, very often. And yes, it's been 25 years, but odmp.org does a really good job of, of keeping track and memorializing and honoring uh, our fallen officers, no matter how far back it's been. And uh, your dad, tell us a little bit about, about him as an individual and what kind of guy he was. Uh, my dad was very edu- uh, educated. Um, he was very into education, but he was also, he was extremely um, a go-getter. He loved the outdoors. He was a whitewater rafting instructor, a mountain climber. He was uh, into karate. He was, I believe, about a fifth-degree black belt in karate. Um, he uh, loved to travel, and he loved Disney. He loved Disneyland. He loved uh, Disneyland itself. Felt like it just took him away to a special place. Um, it was is really it meant a lot to him. Well, I find that many cops are looking for some place they can go to that will give them a mental break from all the the stress, the trauma, the drama, and the violence they experience and see every day. Definitely. So, being in the outdoors and being in the wilderness, I find that to be very relaxing. Disney, not as much. Just a little too many <laughs> people for my taste. But yeah, uh, and along the lines, I don't do well. But he was a career police officer, correct? Yes. And what happened? How was he killed? He was uh, working a, a late shift, and it was about around 2.30 in the morning. Um, and there was a gentleman that was at his vehicle, outside his vehicle, messing with his tire. And my dad was checking on him to see if he needed help. It wasn't a t- typical traffic stop. His car wasn't behind him like you'd think when you're thinking normal traffic stop. His car was actually parked in the middle of the road right parallel to the the male's car and uh, he got out and was approaching him to see if he needed assistance and just before my dad had a chance he pulled a gun and shot him he went down to the ground and then the 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 guy walked over and uh, stood over my father and shot him in the head so basically he really didn't have a chance to react he did he didn't see anything in this situation that made the alarm bells go off. It just seemed like, hey, this guy's got a stable vehicle. He needs some help. I'm going to go help him out. Right. It wasn't a typical traffic stop. That's why he didn't even call it in because it was more of a welfare check, seeing if the guy needed help. He had no idea that this guy had warrants and was had robbed Baskin-Robbins and did different things and was, wasn't trying to go to jail that night. And that's really what it was. He was a armed, fleeing, wanted felon, and your dad had no idea. Right. He just looked like a, a guy who needed some help. Yeah. And that's that's part of the uh, aspecting of policing that, that doesn't get represented much, especially in the news media. So much of what we did 
and what law enforcement officers do daily has really absolutely nothing to do with enforcing the law and or arresting people. That's a small percentage of it. It's it's quality of life issues. It's helping people. That's so much of what happens. And when your dad went to help this guy, it cost him his life. Yeah. There's really no way of sugarcoating this. He had no way of knowing that this guy who he was going to try to help was the baddest of the bad, that he had really bad intentions. Yeah. And uh, you, there's no other way you can get a 22-year veteran that was exper- as experienced as my father was. He trained in the he was a it was an RO. He he taught in the academy. Um, he he always just I mean, uh, at the time when I was 16, I was taller than my dad. I was bigger than my dad, but my dad could handle me. Like we just did a couple exercises at times for him to show me. Um, what he was capable of and what to kind of expect because I was a police explorer at the time for Union City, California and uh, along with my, my twin brother, we both were and, and he would show us different things and he could handle himself unlike you couldn't tell it right away but oh, he totally could so to have the drop was really the only way you're going to take somebody out that like my father and that's unfortunately what happened. So when your dad was shot and you said that he was down on the ground and the guy deliberately approached him and, and fired another shot. Yes. He fired a second shot into his, into his chin face area. And that was basically an execution move. Yes. yes and he had every chance in the world. Once your dad was down, he had every chance in the world, every opportunity to, just, to just take off and leave and flee because he didn't want to get arrested. But he made a deliberate choice to go over there and fire a fatal shot. Yes. Yes, he did. And that's just tough to hear. It, but it, it happens all the time. We've had so many guests on a law enforcement show that, like your dad, experienced law enforcement officers, uh, they go to a scene, they're not complacent, they're not slacking off, they're not not doing their job, they're giving someone the benefit of the doubt. There's nothing that this person is presenting or indicating that they're a bad guy and by the way for those listening that don't know they actually practice these things in prison they they go through mock roles of how to get off the wall when you're being stopped and frisked how to present yourself as not being a bad guy while you plan your assault on the officer and it's something that they plan and they practice continuously so when you have experienced law enforcement officers like your father and they don't have any indication that really bad stuff is happening or could happen, quite often, it's the worst possible scenario. Yep. All right, we're going to take a short break. We are talking with Mike Soto. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. 
Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Back to our conversation with Mike Soto calling us from California. Mike's father, Miguel Soto. Uh, by the way, you are a junior, correct? Yes, I am. So you're Miguel Soto Jr., his father, was an Oakland, California police officer who was killed in line of duty. How many years ago was it? 25 years ago. And when we say killed in line of duty, a lot of officers are killed in accidents or, or things of that nature. Your dad was, was actually murdered by a violent, wanted felon. Yes, he was. He was 18 at He's the time. 18 years old. That's he actually it. Um, has mine and my twin brother's same birth date. Just a, was like a year or two different. Same exact birth date. Just a kid. Just a kid. And people wonder sometimes why so, so many police seem to be uh, overly aggressive or uh, lack of trust when it comes to dealing with teenagers. Well, it's just a kid. Just a kid can kill you. We just had a news report about an 11-year-old. Well, when he was 11, uh, he did one of the worst mass murders, and he was institutionalized till he was 21 because he was a, a juvenile. And then he was killed in a car accident just recently. So just because someone's young doesn't mean they can't be a killer. And, and sadly, that was the case right. with your family and the, and the guy he ran into. Yep. And all he's doing is just doing his job, trying to give the guy a break and try to help him out. Yep. So right. you were 16 years old when this happened. How did you find out? So uh, we were, um, me and my, my some of my siblings and cousins, we were, we were camping um, with uh, my dad's brother, so my uncle and, and uh there was a big group of us, and while we were camping, uh, the rangers, the park rangers, kind of came to our campsite and whisked my uncle away for a little while. Didn't really have any idea what was going on. Uh, my dad's 22-year career, he had never been hurt in the line of duty once. So, you know, as a kid growing up, I just felt like I just never thought that anything would happen to him. Just didn't seem like that was an option. So I didn't even think anything about my dad. Um, and then shortly after a little while, my uncle came back and he gathered us up and let us know, looked at looked at me and my brother and my older sister and told us that as of 2.30 that morning, our father was shot. And I just remember being in Big Sur, being surrounded by red, redwood trees and looking up to the sky and the eternity of the, the size of those trees and the sky and the depth of it just kind of, kind of related to me at that moment, like just went through my body a shock of just like the realization that I was never going to see or hear or touch or hug my dad ever again. It was like coming in and understanding that, but at the same time in disbelief and rejecting it all at the same time. And so we had to have a few hour drive home knowing that he was, he was shot. And uh, on our way home, we, we were hoping, you know, you always kind of hope and hope that's not something that's real, but the radio came on and said that uh, an Oakland police officer had been shot and that they couldn't release his name because his family was ha- camping and they were on their way home. And uh, just that just snapped me back into reality that my dad was really gone. 
prior to the car ride heading back home, you just knew he'd been shot. You didn't know he, he had died. We did. I, I kind of figured he had died um, the way my uncle had told me because then we had the sibling. Or my uh, my sister, one of my sisters, she was at home by herself waiting for her our dad to pick her up. So we had to call her from the campgrounds and tell her while she was home alone that her dad was gone. So at that point, when we did that, then it was clarified because my older sister kind of freaked out because she didn't realize he was gone, but me and my brother did. And so when that went down, then it was all cleared, like, yes, he's dead. And it's the way you said that, Mike, is such finality. I know when I could imagine when you were 16 and going through this, it was far more emotional. But after all these years and having told the story, it's like almost I'm telling it in a factual way. This is what happened. This is how I found out. And this was the end scenario. Uh, we'll get into the rest of it a little bit later on. But as a 16-year-old boy, and that's what I when I was 16, I was still very much a boy. I thought it was a man, yeah. but I was very much a boy. And I was yeah. an emotional wreck. I was I was either very happy, euphoric, or very angry. And the, the scenario, the angst-filled teenager, I really wasn't that guy. But I was always floating between the three. So I can't imagine what your range of emotions must have been. Yeah, I mean, trust me, there was... My eyes were filled with tears as I was looking through those trees. I was a wreck. Um, that year is a fog. Um, I have pot shot memories of that year. It was the beginning of my summer. The last day I saw my dad alive was on Father's Day. It was June 19th of that year. And he died on June 22nd of 94. And there was so many emotions that there was anger, there was frustration, there was sadness. It's all a blur. To be honest, there's pot shots of memorials and different things that you remember. But if I try to remember fine details from that year, I just remember being kind of in you know, overdrive, not really thinking too much, but feeling the loss. Because especially, you know, being a police explorer and stuff, um, I was talking with him a lot. I used to get calls a lot from his patrol car or different things, and we would bond on that, and that was all gone. And to to try to deal with the fact of forever is really hard to deal with. Especially as a teenager. Yes. Because it, it, life just doesn't, that doesn't seem to have the ramifications that it does as an adult. And you got this harsh lesson at a very young age. But I at did. 16, I was like, life goes on forever. I couldn't imagine even being 40 or 50. Never, never mind the age I am now. My dad was alive. My mom was alive. My mom was still alive. But there was no sense of finality and the fragility of life and, and how quickly it could be changed and, and snuffed out. And you had experienced that at, at 16 and summer of what should have been the best year of your life. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it altered my life forever. That that was, you know, definitely alone, not, a, not just the law enforcement side of it, like I brought up being an explorer and stuff, but obviously being a kid, being a kid that needed his dad all of us needing our father. Um, he had my dad when he died. He had six kids, and and um, five of them hadn't even graduated yet. And he had so so there, there was all of that life ahead of me still as a man, a boy growing into a man. And now I didn't have my dad to be able to be there for me for that. Right. So now you drive him back to uh, home from camping. You you heard the news. You you heard it on the radio, and you kind of figured to put two or two together. That your dad uh, had passed. Did you go to, right to the hospital, or what happened? 
No, we weren't allowed to. We actually just, they had already dealt with because we were so far away. By the time we ended up just going to my grandparents' house, my dad's parents, um, everybody was there. I uh, just remember the house being filled with family, everybody there, and just being kind of, like I said, on an overdrive. Um, not able to cry, not able to talk, really, not able to do anything except just just be around the family and kind of wait around as the adults dealt with, like, funeral arrangements and what are we going to do now. My dad was very, ran the construction uh, construction company. He just was very, very big role in our family. It just really flipped our whole family upside down. We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Mike Miguel Soto, Jr., uh, about his dad his dad was an oakland california police officer 22 years on the job uh, when he stopped to help we thought was a guy who needed assistance with his vehicle unknown to him the guy was a wanted armed felon uh, this and I, i'm not gonna use the word man or gentleman but this suspect and i certainly won't name him instead decided to deliberately shoot miguel soto mike's dad and uh, while Mike was, Mike's dad was down, uh, he walked up and, and fired an execution round. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Remember in the beginning, when you first started to build a life for you and your family, you never imagined it would come to this. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. In fact, it's smothering you. Now there's a way you can take back control with one simple call. If you owe $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you qualify to receive a free, no-obligation consultation on how to get rid of that debt for good. Call the Debt Helpline now. We work on your behalf to reduce your debt. We specialize in credit cards, retail store cards, and medical bills. One simple call is all it takes to get the ball rolling to a debt-free life. Stop living with debt and start living your dreams. Call the Debt Helpline now. 800-709-4389-800-709-4389-800-709-4389. That's 800-709-4389. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show, Never fear. You can listen to them online. Just go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, or download our free app, also available on our website. That's lawenforcementtoday.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Joining us on the phone, Mike Miguel Soto, Jr. Mike's father was a police officer, Miguel Soto, from the Oakland, California Police Department, who was shot and killed, murdered in the line of duty. Was it 24 years ago now, Mike? 25 years ago. 25 94. years ago. Even after all these years, this is such a difficult conversation, but I'm, I'm glad you were talking about it because, number one, this is not a perspective we hear much about. Uh, we don't get to hear quite often from the adult children uh, of officers of Carolina duty. And, and you, when we left, we went to break. You got notified you were camping with family and you got the news that your dad had been shot and you're driving back home and you heard on the radio the Oakland, California police officer was shot and they're waiting for notifications and you kind of put two and two together. And you talked about how that year of a 16-year-old, which should have been great summer for you, was kind of a blur and, and you're kind of an emotional mess at the time, which is to be expected. Yeah. Here you are all these years later, 
obviously there was uh, quite a transition period for you learning how to live without your dad learning how to live with the emotional aftermath of your father being murdered how are you doing today today i i would have to say um i'm doing great through a few things i've had some assistance in my life that at the time when it first happens you don't even really think about it one of the things obviously is um god has gotten me through a lot of this uh, my faith um but there's been things put into my life with like cops concerns of police survivors um they helped a lot even as in my adulthood now and so you you as you go through this grief the unfortunate thing is that police are dying every year and that means new families are are now survivors every year and so you know with this journey everybody starts the journey and eventually everybody eventually the first years are going to be me they're going to be 25 years later and so as i've walked this journey and been through many peaks and valleys through this journey of as a survivor um i i do find a lot of fulfillment uh, in helping other survivors and helping them how to know what to expect and how to deal with the little things like simply feeling like you have to be on the offense or defense all the time when it comes to the police because you just think about your your fallen officer there's just different emotions that you go through that you can't help and you feel like at the time when you're doing that you're alone and you're not you are not alone and cops is good at bringing concerns of police survivors is good at bringing other survivors together so that you really understand that that you really aren't alone and there's people that are on the other side of the country that are walking in your shoes even though you're from a different state and the officers, your officers' situations may not be the same, a lot of the stuff you go through and emotions you go through and things you think are very similar. Um, so I focus a lot on that, and I've actually worked on forgiveness. As hard as that is to, to hear sometimes, and I forgive, I forgive the man that killed my father. That's, that's big of you to say, because I, I don't know if I could do that. I, I, thankfully, I'm not in your predicament the closest I can come to it is I had a very good friend who I was his sergeant and uh, after a couple of years I transferred went to another district and a couple of months later he was he was murdered. He was shot and killed in line of duty and I went through all the guilt and the horrible ranges of emotions and went through that and even though it didn't make sense about the guilt part, there was a lot of anger. I thought if I was there I could have prevented it and that's just not true and I know that today but the what I'm getting at is I don't even know the guy's name. I don't. I did at one point. I don't want to know his name who killed him. I don't want him to be in my head. I don't want his. I don't want thoughts of him to be invading my life today at all. Uh, so I don't have to deal with forgiveness because he's become a non-issue in my life. And so the, the grasping the idea that you know who did this and you've forgiven him is kind of difficult for a guy like me to understand. It's exactly, it's funny because the forgiveness is for exact reasons of kind of what you mentioned. Um, I feel like when you don't have forgiveness, it's there's there's an anger there, there's a sadness and pain that only you feel, he doesn't. And when you don't have forgiveness, you, you stew in that. And it, it affects you, not not him. So the forgiveness isn't like I'm saying, you know what, it's okay what you did to my dad. That is not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that I don't know where he stands right now but the forgiveness is because my god forgave me forgives me for my sins i forgive so that he doesn't 
stay in my head, and he doesn't own anything. That makes Forgiveness doesn't mean I, I give him justification in any way. No, I, I, mean, I, I get that. And I also get that it doesn't mean it's okay. Right. It just means that, and I really understand the idea that that this guy's not going to be affecting your life today. Uh, the right. way I, I put it to people this way, I, I was involved in uh, four shootings in, in a little over 11 years, 12 years. And the first two, I never fired a shot. The second two were horrendous affairs. And the good news is three out of the four people, I can't even tell you their names. I don't want to know them anymore. I don't want, I don't care where they are. I hope they're doing well, whether in prison or they're out. I hope they have a good life. I really do. But I don't want to know them. Uh, and unfortunately, one guy, he, I haven't quite gotten there yet where I have been able to eliminate him from my memory banks. And I hope it comes someday. Right. Right. And I don't know that it'll be. I don't know that it will. One of the things that, that I found for me is until I started talking with other people that had been through similar things in law enforcement, I didn't feel like there was a basis of understanding. Uh, and when I did talk with other people who'd been through those sort of things, I began to understand a lot more about me and what was going on with me. Was that kind of similar with you when you started going to the different things that COPS offers? Yes, that is exactly it. Um, biggest thing that I take part in is their hands-on program, which is the adult children's retreat. And you spend a weekend with other adult children that have lost their parent in the line of duty, whether it be a dad or a mom. And that is where my life changed. That is where I was able to, that was a big piece that allowed me to, to view this differently. Because for years, I, and I didn't get to go until 18 years later. So it took me to be a grown man before I went to this adult children's retreat. So a lot of those years, you had years where you just felt alone in everything. Even though I had my siblings and stuff and knew they went through what I went through, you still felt alone. And then now that I'm, I meet all these people, you're cops is that group you'd never want to be a part of but you're really happy you are that's exactly what a good friend of ours uh, is said whose husband was uh, a tarpon springs police officer who's kind of line of duty and she's like i i'm a member of a club no one want to be a part of and i didn't ask for it but here i am it's the truth and and she and her family have used the same resources you're talking about the same group of people concerns of police survivors by the way they're nationwide uh, and they do phenomenal things to help people. Uh, a real quick story. I had a guest on the show just recently, and her husband was a, a deputy sheriff who's killed in line of duty, and she had two sons, and they were three and a year and a half of that age uh, when that occurred. And they wound up going to a camp, the oldest one, he was six years old, for children whose yep. their, their, their father or their mother was killed in line of duty by cops. And he said when they began to realize that all these other kids – their parents have been killed too. They were like, I'm not alone. And yep. they said you could see the transformation in their faces. Mm-hmm. Just realizing that while it's a unique individual journey, you don't have to carry it and make that journey by yourself. That's right. And there's many facets to, to getting help with it. COPS is one of the facets. Another one is our department, the Oakland Police Department, is so good about remembering our fallen um, every year they do a memorial at the department. Every year they do a memorial run on their motors and they come and visit the gravesite. Um, so they see my come to my dad and all a bunch of fa- uh, fallen officers in the area. Like uh, they have like a certain mile radius that they go and they see. It uh, doesn't matter if they died in the 1800s or 1994 or 2000, you know, one or whatever. They go and it, and it, those types of things help a lot too. Those are the different things that show you that that the Blue family just doesn't forget. 
you know, and then and then there's also your because these these things are not something that everybody can understand, and so when you're around other even other officers, when you're around people that have lost an officer, whether it's a coworker, sibling, child, father, whatever. You just have a level of understanding where you feel like when you're around these people, you can just be yourself. They get it. We're going to take a short break. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We'll be right back. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, We love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined on the phone, calling from California, Mike Soto. Mike's father, Miguel Soto, was a 22-year veteran of the Oakland, California Police Department. He was shot and killed in a line of duty 25 years ago. You went to your first cops, Concerns of Police Survivors event, retreat, whatever you want to call it, about 18 years after he was killed yeah that's correct so there was a a big process in between finally getting hooked up with these people that i can't begin to imagine where you kind of like had to tough it out and figure this stuff out on your own between 16 to what 34 yeah pretty much yes and i don't know of anybody that does well in the teenage years especially 16 17 18 we think we we know everything. We think we got it all going on, got it all figured out, and have absolutely no clue. And then to throw into that mix what you and your family had to go through, I can't yeah. imagine what it was like for you. Yeah, you you begin to think it's normal um, what you're doing and dealing with in your head and all this stuff, and you just kind of go in and don't realize how much even the death and the way the death happened and why and everything kind of. It roots into your life and, and becomes a characteristic of you. It, it changes who you are. And until you see that, you don't even realize that's a factor. You know, just sometimes I would have control issues, abandonment issues, and different things and not even really realize it. It wasn't until I started going to the cops' hands-on programs that I got to talk with therapists and different people and really get to understanding the emotional effect that my father's death had on me, you, you know, from being 16 all the way through my life. Um, we just didn't have, we didn't have the exposure to it. I'm not, and I think like everything as time goes and it's a organization and stuff like grow, they get better on how they deal with new people and so forth. We, as kids, we'd get gifts from them and stuff like little trinkets and stuff. And we thought, oh, okay. So it's something that exists that cares. And we get a little card. We didn't realize like what they were working on and what they had to offer until me and my sister Michelle, we decided to go to a, our Northern California chapter cops meeting. We were grown adults, and that's where we, they found out we had never been to Washington D.C. We didn't go to the, the memorial in the in the year my dad was added to the wall. Um, and so when they found that out, immediately they said, "We're going to pay for you guys to go. Wow. You're going." And that was the eighteen year eighteen years. And then when they found out we had never been to a retreat, the next year they said, "We're going to pay for you to go to retreat," and then thereafter. So, so that was 2011, um, 2000, no, 2012, I'm sorry, 2012, we went to Washington, D.C., paid for by our COPS chapter, all full expense paid. And then um, we went, the next year in 2013 was my first year going to Adults Children Retreat. And they paid for it every year since. How was the, the visit to the memorial? Oh, it was so, so amazing and overwhelming at the same time. 
you know, you, it had been 18 years at that point, and they still, cops still made us feel like they gave us first year attending ribbons on our badges. Um, they treated us as if it was our first year, even though it was 18 years later. And the love that we got from law enforcement family, from the police officers there, from just everybody, it was just insane. Um, you really, really missed it because you felt like when you left, because you just felt like, holy cow, like I'm actually able to like be proud of this and be a, not have to feel like I have to hold anything in or whatever. It just, you felt like you belonged, you were with family and, and it's just uh, finding comfort in knowing, Hey, I'm not the only one that holds a patch the way I do. And I'm not the only one that looks at it the same way and thinks the same way. And, and it's just was just really an eye-opening experience on a whole nother level that I had never experienced before in my life. I have been avoiding, deliberately avoiding the memorial, the law enforcement officers memorial we're talking about in Washington, D.C. for many, many years because I was afraid. I'll be honest with you. I, was, I, was, I knew a lot of guys on there, uh, men and women on there. Uh, some were very, very close. Some I have connections to with cases we worked, but it was I was I was afraid and when I was working at a classic rock radio station in Southern Maryland, my wife and I decided it was time to go, and we went, and it was uh, it was a heavy-duty, very emotional experience for me, yep. but it was also, I want to say, cleansing in many ways, and I know that yep. doesn't really give it the proper weight, but it, it took a weight off my shoulders. Uh, it did something yep. really positive for me, and for people who aren't even in law enforcement or don't have a law enforcement connection, if you're around D.C. or visiting D.C., visit the National Law Enforcement Officer Memorial. Uh, it'll change you. It really, really will. Yes, I agree. I'm still kind of blown away that you you kind of like toughed this out on your own between 16 uh, until you're approximately 34 years old, and you were saying that you're you're a police explorer. You thought about going into law enforcement. Did that change after your dad's death? It did. Even though you know, I had me and my brother both. We were on on track to become police officers. That's what we wanted to do, and uh, we we were police explorers. And 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 when Dad died, the department was fully behind us. They they supported us as any department would support their own. But I think what happens is when that when you go through that, and I think because I was 16, I just I could I felt like that was going to be my that was going to be my end too, and I just didn't I couldn't bring myself to have the possibility that was now a reality to me, uh, have my mom and family go through that again. And it just changed. It changed for me. I still have that piece in me inside. There's a piece of love for law enforcement. When I look at those cars and I look at officers and see them and there's a piece of piece of me that says, what if, um, but now, you know, um, I am where I'm at. But I'm I'm extremely happy now, even though I'm not an officer, I, I get to work with, you know, and help them every day. So you found your calling. You found uh, something you're passionate about. Oh, yeah. with your legal work at the law firm, that's one thing. But you, from what I understand, you're also very passionate about helping other survivors through concerns of police survivors. Yes, that's right. I am there to, like, going to retreat now. I find that I go not just for me anymore. I go to help others. I look for new new survivors. I look for people that might need some assistance and just get that guidance that I needed at the time when I was a new survivor that I didn't have. Um, I really strive on that. Me and my brother, we all, I mean, when all my siblings that go, we, 
we really strive on making connections with people and helping them the best we can. It's not just about us anymore. It's about helping other new survivors. Well, unfortunately, sure. because of your experience, you can help in ways that many people can't. Right. I mean, and we all want to, but wanting to and having a desire to help and not having any basis of understanding or any experience kind of limits your ability. Where you and your family, you've gone through it, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. What's one of the things that you would say to, and sadly, this is going to continue to happen, when it happens to a family in your community, no matter where in the United States, what would you tell people? What's the first thing you would say, hey, do this? What would that be? Well, I think that one of the big things that people kind of tend to do and you don't even really realize it is you try to avoid the grief um, you try to avoid the process of the grief of everything that's encompassed around that. So that that comes along with the bad days and the good days and the, the memories and the sadness and missing and all that stuff. And sometimes people tend to avoid it. And I feel like, you know, I'm everybody grieves differently. But I would recommend that you face the grief and that you try to work through it because there's nothing we can do to bring our family back family members back, but they wouldn't want us to live beat up and sad all the time and, and, and just cutting ourselves off from the world. So if you face the grief, you'll work through it, I promise. And it will change how you view your grief and how you, how you deal with it. So I have less sad, sad days. I'm not saying I don't, because there are the just, it happens. But I have more days where I feel more empowered and more proud to be the son of an officer that paid the ultimate sacrifice and did what he did. I'll be honest with you. My father passed away from cancer, and it's been, I think, 24, 25 years ago at this point, and we knew it was coming, uh, and I spent as much time as I could before it happened, and I still feel incredibly ripped off. So to have the sudden murder when you're 16 just is incomprehensible to me. Yeah. There's no warning. There's nothing. There's no preparation. It's just like he goes to work and all of a sudden he's gone. He's not in pretty life anymore. Yep. That's part of like, that was part of the the revelation I was having in the forest when I found out why it struck me like lightning and and just traveled through my whole body. It was a sensation that I felt was the reality of the the gone forever. Like that's just death in general, right? Death just sucks. And it doesn't matter. It just, it doesn't matter. I mean, I've had other family members pass away that you knew it was coming. It just still sucks. And it's the loss and it's the stuff we have to deal with. And I think, you know, with the layer with my father, since we're talking about that, him being murdered is obviously, that's definitely like he was stolen from me. I'm so proud to be his son. Mike Miguel Soto, I want to thank you so much for coming on Law Enforcement Today's show and sharing your story with us. Definitely. No problem. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today's show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.